have much to work with anymore, but I'm doing the best I can. Hey, if you've got your Bibles, turn to the book of James. The book of James. We have been doing a verse-by-verse walk through the book of James. And I want to begin with a quote from a modern-day hero, uh, Dr. Ben Carson. Uh, Dr. Carson, uh, uh, he was a, a neurosurgeon. Uh, he's in uh, uh, the president's cabinet. He's the secretary of housing and urban development, which means he sees a lot of poverty. He sees a lot of struggle. He sees a lot of need. And he gave some wise advice to teenagers. I heard this several months ago. He said, if you would just finish high school, if you'd get married, and then if you would wait until you're married to have kids, it's a greater likelihood that you'll avoid a life of poverty. Now, how many know that's just good practical sense? And if I had the time, I could literally take Bible verses and support every one of those things he suggested. And you know what? You can just imagine kids that if they're raised without a dad, or perhaps they're in a a failing inner city school and they just don't seem like they have much hope, Uh, the people that make the money are drug dealers, how in the world are they going to survive? If they would take that simple biblical advice... How many know their life would end up on top rather than on bottom? Well, the idea here is what he did. Uh, He didn't quote a survey to them. He didn't quote any uh, marketing research. He simply shared biblical truth. And this is what the book of James is. The book of James is a book of wisdom. It's a book that teaches us how to have a better life. That if we will apply the principles in the book of James, they can be applied to everyday life. Life just works better for us. Now, last week, if you were here, we answered a big question, how do I know if I'm really a Christian? In other words, is it just because I shook the preacher's hand or because I said a prayer? What James said, James said there needs to be evidence of good works in your life, not to save you, but to be the proof that you've been turned to Christ. Uh, The next thing was a really big one, if you remember, he talked about being careful of the words we say. You remember words have the power to kill and words have the power to do what? Bring life to kill or bring life. There's power in the tongue. Well, today I want to we want to explore what James says about relationships, and he's really going to look at four things that undermine and destroy relationships. He's talking specifically about relationships in the church, but it applies to any relationships. If you will listen, if you're on the cheerleading squad this year, this is going to help you. Uh, If you have a family and you're not getting along with the in-laws, outlaws, or daughter-in-laws, this will help you. Because how many know God's Word works? And uh, so this is what we're going to talk about today, and we'll end up with a thought on humility. But let's begin. This is the fifth in the series, and let's begin talking about envy and selfish ambition. The four things he talks about that destroy relationships, envy, selfish ambition, uh, worldliness, and then, of course, there is the, 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 the power uh, of, of uh, coveting or wanting what somebody else has. So let's explore it together. Let's begin now in verse 13. He's going to ask a question, and his question is, who is wise and understanding among you? If you ask that question on the street today, we would say someone that has an advanced degree. In other words, if you've got a PhD, then that means that you're wise. Not necessarily so. James would say it this way. James would say, uh, let them, if you're wise, show it by your, by your good life 
and by deeds done in humility that comes from wisdom. In other words, James is saying wise people are not just people that have knowledge and facts, but wise people are people that understand God's ways and it translates into their life. Now, the life that he's talking about is not our inner world. It's not our personal world where we, you know, we feel better about ourselves and, you know, we, we, uh, we're honest and those kind of things that are good. But what James is talking about is James talking about a wisdom that manifests how I treat other people and how I act. Uh, I read this week that there were a couple professors on the East Coast and uh, uh, they were throwing Molotov cocktails in the riots and they got arrested. And I thought to myself, this is a professor that's going to stand in front of kids and tell them how to live, but yet they're out on the streets riding. Well, how many know, just because they had a PhD, it doesn't make them wise. What makes you wise is you understand God's ways and it translates into your life. So you could have perhaps not even graduated from high school and still have wisdom by the way that we treat people. Now, if we're able to get the degree and have the good deeds and good acts, I mean, no, we've got the best of both worlds. But, uh, but let's see what James is talking about here. That word humility, that's a big word. We'll close with a thought on humility today, and next week he'll pick it up again. But humility or meekness is simply an awareness that we're totally dependent on God. Now, how many know it? Sometimes it takes life to bring us to that point, takes difficulties, but that's what humility is, and that's what James is saying. So let's get in now to the heart of this thing about envy and selfish ambition. Look at your neighbor and says, I wonder if he's going to be talking about you. Okay, I'm going to meddle in your stuff today, but actually it's going to be helpful. Look at verse 14. He says, but, now, the Bible is, is written in context, just like any good, any good literature. Who's wise and understanding? Show it by good deeds. But then he says, but if you harbor bitter envy and selfish ambition in your hearts, don't boast about it or deny the truth. So what he's saying is, you could feel justified in this selfish ambition. Let's say you're, you're two girls on the cheerleading squad. You both want to be the captain. You both think you're better than the other person. And you're both find a sniff, trying to find a sneaky way so you can be the, the captain of the team. James is saying, you're not really tracking, girl. You're not, what you're doing is not right. And then James says such wisdom, and he puts it in the quotation marks because it's really not wisdom. It's not God's smart. It's not God's ways. It doesn't come from heaven, but it comes from where? The earth, it's unspiritual, it's demonic. Uh, now, this idea of having uh, uh, bitter envy, bitter envy is jealousy on steroids. Bitter envy is jealousy wanting what somebody else has. It could be their new duck decoys. It could be you take your pick. It could be the man that they're married to. But there's this sense, I, I, I'll do, I desperately want what you have. I'll do anything to be able to get it. Uh, selfish ambition, it, it, it brings together this idea of competition and conflict for personal gain. Now, again, we're talking about, he's talking about relationships in the church, but it applies to everything. It applies to our work. It applies to our family. How many know you can be a dad driven by selfish ambition and hurt your family? How many know ambition is a good thing? That's how you succeed in life. That's what gives you the drive to finish your degree. That's what gives you the drive to work until you get the deal. 
But if it shifts from being an ambition shrouded and controlled and directed by God to just personally elevate you. It just makes me look better. It makes me feel better. This is what I want. This is my identity. And if a dad is driven toward selfish ambition in the workplace, he can work literally not only all day, but he can work all night and he can ignore his wife and ignore his children. How many know his ambition, though good, but it's driven him away from his family. James says this is demonic. Now listen to this, verse 16. Where you have envy and selfish ambition, there you find disorder and Huh, every evil practice. So I want you to think about the root and the fruit. What's the root? If there's envy, which means I want what you have and I really want it bad. If there's envy and selfish ambition in my heart, what it's going to produce is disorder and every evil practice. You see this in families where we don't get along with our in-laws for whatever reason. It's painful, it's hurtful, uh, perhaps they did something, perhaps they didn't. But bottom line is, I want it my way and I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to have it my way. Um, I'm fully convinced that a lot of companies stay stagnant or decline because the people are not getting along, because there's a vying for power. It's a dog-eat-dog world. I'll do anything I can to get, ahead of, uh, to get ahead of you. But let's focus on James a minute. He's talking about selfish ambition in the church. Rival Christians wanted to be the leader. Now, Aristotle used this term to mean a self-seeking pursuit of a political office by unfair means. Now, I didn't watch uh, the Democrat convention last week, but I read a little bit about it. And here's pretty much what I read, the gist of what every, most of the speakers said. Every problem in your life is because of President Trump. He caused the coronavirus. He caused this. He caused that. And if we get rid of the, him, then everything will be okay. Now we're having the Republican convention this week, and they'll probably say some similar things. Because it is a carnal pull for power. It is a carnal drive. You know, you see, uh, we want to find out what fa the, the real facts are. So Facebook has, uh, has uh, come up with this panel of experts that are going to get rid of fake news. The only problem is they're all biased to the political left. You know, you look at things like Snopes.com and thinks, well, now I'll find what the truth really is. Not all the time. We just live in a world that, that people will do anything or say anything to get what they want. This is selfish ambition in its worst. And what James is saying, it happens in the church. A jealous leader forms a group and breaks away from the rest of the church. Anyone ever been a part of a church split? Wave your hand at me. Ooh, I have. It's horrible, isn't it? Our first 10 years here, we probably had two or three splits off the rock. You know, little chips off the rock there. and Man, those little pebbles, it was pain. It was hurtful. People were mad at each other for years. People didn't trust. They didn't hurt. I mean, they hurt each other. And what happened when that happens, the church kind of collapses. We bite and devour each other, the Bible says. And here's the most important thing. We lose our mission to the world. We lose our mission to hurting people because we can't get along. Let's explore it a little deeper. Acts chapter 20, uh, Paul talked about this in the Ephesian church. He said, I know after I leave, some from your own group will rise up and twist the truth and will lead away followers after them. 
So here's a question. How do we respond to people that are driven by selfish ambition? Because you know what? The person can't see it. Usually the person thinks that they're in the right. Uh, they're worshiping the Lord. They've got a gift. They have spiritual knowledge. But you can pretty much discern when somebody has selfish ambition. They might even say things like, I can preach better than he can. If they just put me on that stage, I'd show them how to sing. I'd bring some rhythm on that stage. If I was the life group leader, the Holy Spirit would be in this group. You never heard things like that, have you? If they let me be on that prayer team, more people would get healed. Do you hear the voice of the devil in any of that? Well, sure, it, 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 it happens. What do I do if I'm, get, if I'm around somebody like that? Let me give you some advice. It's just like this uh, uh, coronavirus. <laughs> You're supposed to protect yourself, right? You're supposed to put uh, junk on your hands. I don't know how much you're going to put on it. Your poor liver is going to be saying no more. But, but, but listen to Titus chapter 3. Titus says, if people are causing divisions among you, give them a first and a second a warning. And after that, this is strange, have nothing more to do with them. Why? Because they've turned away from the truth and their own sins condemn them. But what's the real problem? When the church divides against itself, its mission collapses. We're supposed to be a light in the world. We're supposed to be a beacon of truth. We're supposed to be helping the poor. We're supposed to be helping children in the inner city. We're supposed to be sending missionaries around the world. We're supposed to be helping those that are struggling in life. We're supposed to be helping the elderly. But guess what? If we let this divisiveness come in the church, guess what? All that stuff stops and we bite and devour. I've been in this church 30 years, and can I tell you, I think our church is healthier than it's ever been in the last 30 years. Uh, it's not perfect because there's no perfect people. But our leaders, our pastors, our elders, we get along. We submit to each other. We're not demanding. There's a support that's here. There's a covering of one another's weaknesses rather than an exposing. And in that place of unity, now listen, it's true in the church, but it's true in your family. It's true in your workplace. You can create an environment like that in your workplace, and guess what? God will bless it, and profits will go up, and everybody's making more money. So this stuff works wherever you apply it. Now, let me ask you a question. What kind of character does a true leader have? What we just read now was, again, wisdom that's demonic. Listen to this. Verse 17. But the wisdom that comes from heaven is, first of all, pure. So I want you to think about uh, if you're in a healthy relationship, I don't care if it's a marriage, a family, a workplace, a church, you'll find some of these things are working there. Purity has to do with our hearts. It has to do with our motivations, our intentions. Uh, we're not manipulative. We're not just out to get something from other people. We're pure. We're peace-loving. How I many we're always going to have conflict? We're always going to have struggles in life, but peace-loving people work to get along and they choose to disagree for the greater good. Uh, considerate, which means that I treat you with respect whether I agree with you or not. Uh, submissive, now that's a big word. We'll come back to that. It's a yielding of our will. I think that's one of the most important. Full of mercy. I don't know about you, but I'm not perfect. 
I do stupid things. I say stupid things. I don't need to be beat up and thrown away every time I make a mistake. Come on. I, I need a little more on the mercy end than I need on the judgment end. Uh, 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 good fruit, we'll talk about that. Impartial, not having favorites, and sincere. And then he repeats himself, peacemakers who sow in peace reap a harvest of righteousness. Now, what is this harvest of righteousness in this church context? It's what we talked about. It's evangelism that's going around the world. It's missions that going around the world. It's planning a church in Nashville. I mean, you know, if you, if you even look at, at, at a church plant like that, it could have been very easy for Pastor Nick to have said, I'm a better preacher than you. I know it. My wife knows it. You don't know it. I can sing and you can't sing. I need to be pastoring a church and I'm going to do it, bless God, whether you want me to do it or not. And I'm going to go ahead and try to get about 40, 50 people to go with me to show you. I mean, no churches have been started like that. I hear about it all the time. But you know what? That's not what he did. He went out. We laid hands on him. We blessed him. We supported him for a year. Uh, we gave him another $10,000 to help buy that building that they bought. I mean, we're just giving and serving and applauding and loving. And you know what? The kingdom of God is just going to expand and get bigger and bigger and bigger. That's what, that's what happens when we are peacemakers sowing in peace in this harvest of righteousness. See, James wanted to stop the rivalries and the division in the church because it just happens, friends. In, in, in the church in Corinth, he said, I appeal to you to live in harmony with each other. Let there be no divisions, but be of one mind, united in thought and purpose. In other words, serving Jesus and honoring him is more important than our petty differences. It's more important than the, our conflicts and our disagreements. Think what he said in this poor church. He said, some of you have told me about uh, your quarrels. Some are saying, I follow Paul. Others are saying, I follow Apollos. I follow Peter. No, I follow Christ. It's just like saying, well, I'll go to Wednesday prayer because that's when, uh, 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 I mean, Friday morning because that's when Pastor Travis leads and he's, I like his praying. But I'm not going to go Wednesday because that's when Pastor Mike leads. But Linnell, and, and she's a woman too, by the way. And I, Are you with me? Okay. See, when that kind of stuff gets in, the gospel is, is uh, 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 destroyed. Let me give you a key to harmony. Your family, your company, the church. It's what he said a few minutes ago, and it's called submission. Submission is not a dirty word. Submission is just a willingness to yield. And the spirit of our age, the spirit in America today is, nobody's going to tell me what to do. I'm going to do whatever I want to in life. Uh, someone told, told me between services, uh, someone was working with their daughter at Chick-fil-A and uh, uh, she was a brand new hire and they said, somebody asked them to go out and pick out some cups outside and, and she just said, I'm not going to do that. Well, guess what? Hit the road, Jack. I guess you can go to McDonald's or wherever you want to, but, but, but you can't do that if we're going to work here because we're going to be in harmony. There's power in submission. You know, my wife and I are submitted to each other. You know, the Bible talks about a wife submitting to her husband, and I'm not her boss. We're two equal people, come on, both created by God, a husband and a wife. We have different roles, but I yield to her. When she says something and something that's important, guess what? I'm going to yield to her, and she's going to yield to me. We don't hardly ever have a fight. I'm just being honest with you. 
It's a power of submission. There was not yelling and strife in our home because our home was not filled with selfish ambition and envy and demanding to be the first and top. There's just power in this, and it's what strong people do. Come on, somebody say, somebody say, praise the Lord. Now, how do I know if a leader is truly of God? If you're in this church James is talking about, let me tell you uh, what what I, I think is how I choose leaders in my life. Jesus said in Matthew 7, 15, Beware of false prophets who come disguised as harmless sheep, but they're really vicious wolves. And Jesus said this, You can identify them by their fruit, which is what? The way they act. Now, let me tell you how I'm different today at 60 than when I, was, when I was 30. When I was 30, I tended to follow the gift. I tended to follow the charismatic leader. I tended to follow someone that was, you know, personality plus and drove a fancy car and, and all those outward things. But you know what I found about people? If, if that's the focus, they're up and they're down. They're up doing great. And then they're on the front page of the newspaper. Here's, what I, here's the kind of leaders I want in my life. I want someone with godly character. I want someone that has a, a, a biblical value system in their life. And the most important bit of their character is that they're humble. And a humble person is a broken person who really realizes I can't do anything without God. It, 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 God helps me in everything that I do. Listen, I, I, I strive to pursue that in my own life. I have come to realize at 60, having found some things in life that I just could not do on my own, but when I found God did it and God did it undeniably, it made me realize, come on now, that Jesus is the one that's on top and I'm just here with him. I'm just his partner. I, I'm looking for character. The second thing that I look for in a leader is, is their family in order. If this person can't get along with their spouse, come on now. If their kids are full of the devil, why would I follow someone that can't even control his his own flock? Um, and, And the last one is a huge one. As I get older, I'm looking for a track record of bearing fruit. I'm not looking for a flash in the pan. I'm looking for someone who doesn't just have a resume on the wall and pictures with presidents and, and uh, 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 d- d- degrees. All those things are good. Nothing wrong with any of them. But I'm looking for a track record of somebody that has helped multitudes of marriages get back together, that's helped poor people get off the street, that's brought thousands or millions of Bibles around the world, that's trained followers of Christ. I'm looking for someone that has made a mark in people's lives consistently every year of their life. Come on, give the Lord a good, a good hand. So that's his first part. He says, he says, uh, uh, selfish ambition, uh, will destroy relationships, uh, uh, bitter envy, jealousy. Now he's going to go further and he's going to talk about coveting and worldliness will also cause problems. Let's, uh, let's get into this chapter four, verse one. Uh, he asked the question, And again now, he's contrasted the good and the bad in terms of the the leaders. He says, hey guys, what causes fights and quarrels among you? He he didn't say out there in the world. He didn't say on the streets of Portland in the riots. He's saying in the church. What causes quarrels and fights among you? Now listen, don't they come from your desires that battle within you? You desire, but you don't have, so you... If I don't kill them with a knife or a gun, I kill them on Facebook. 
You know this word desire, it's, it's from the Greek word from which we translate the word hedonism. It's, it's a mega selfishness. Hedonism is the pursuit of pleasure as the main goal of life. So he's still talking about relationships here. And he's talking about somebody so bent on finding personal happiness, personal fulfillment, pleasure, that they'll do anything to get it. These desires are battling. You want it, you don't get it, so you kill, you kill somebody. You covet, and coveting means, I want it so bad, I'll do anything to get it. I'll say anything and do anything. But you can't get what you want, so then you start fighting about it, and then you throw this odd little statement out, you don't have because you don't ask God. Now, in the next verse, he's going to say, God's not going to give it to you because you're asking for wrong motives. But let's hang on in a minute, and let's just come back to this and think about these fights and quarrels. This word fight, was a, it spoke of a, of a military encounter between nations. In other words, you think about a, uh, you know, any of your shows you see on TV and armies are fighting and people are getting killed. Well, this is the word that he used to describe what happens among people he called brothers and sisters. See, that's what the church is supposed to be, a community, a family of Christians. But how many know sometimes we can't get along? Um, James uh, is dealing with the conflict that's caused by internal rivalries because we want what other Christians have. We want their money. We saw them drive up in a new truck, and now I'm not happy with my two old trucks two-year-old truck, uh, whether it's their money, we thought, well, gosh, God must love them more than me. Maybe their family. Maybe there's an envy of their family. And then, you know, when their name is suggested for some role or some position, maybe you're in a position, you say, no, I don't think they'd do good there. And nothing to do with their qualifications. It's just the fact that they've got more than me, and I'm going to pull them down. Their position Listen, I struggled with that when I was a, a young minister in my 20s. It was all about ambition. and we, There was a bunch of us, half a dozen of us, and we all wanted to just kind of step each other, see who could get on the top. You've never done that, have you? See, this is just in the human heart. That's why, that's why when James described it, he said, it's demonic. But now notice what he says. You don't have because you don't ask, which means they weren't praying. They weren't talking to God about it. And you know what? If they'd spent time with God, I bet God would have convicted of them of their heart problems. It's almost like we can believe in Jesus, but it's not working a change throughout our life. If I'm genuinely a Christian, it's a, the starting place is I love Jesus and I'm following him. But it, then it becomes a road of sanctification to where I'm becoming like Christ in my behavior, my character, and the things that I, that I do with my life. Uh, let, let, let's, uh, let's keep reading here about worldliness. Another little root here. And this is, i got to be honest with you, this is probably my toughest now. I wrestled with envy uh, of other preachers when I was in my 40s. I'd, I'd go to conferences, and, and they might have a large church, or they might have this, or they might have that, and here I am in struggling little T-town, and I think, man, I wish I was there. I, I wish. Why, why, what's wrong with me? Now, I know you've never done this, but it's human nature. But how many know we don't have a human nature? We have a Holy Ghost nature in us. 
And sooner or later, you just get tired of coming home feeling like something's wrong with you. Come on now. And then you start thanking the God who called me where he called me to be, to do what he called me to do, and that he made me this way. Listen, in my early years here, I wanted to be like the guys that were before me because that's what everybody else were wanted. And the problem is the harder I tried, the worse it became. God didn't make a mistake when he made you. When he gifted you and when he skilled you and gave you talents and abilities, he gave them for a purpose. And I'm telling you, friend, he didn't make a mistake. And if we can just be happy with who God made us to be and be the mess to us, listen, all this other junk is going to fall aside. But let me get to this last one. This is a big one. I still battle with this today. Look at verse 3. When you ask, you don't receive because you ask with... Mm Mm-hmm. Why? So you may spend what you get on your pleasures. You know, that's that same word for hedonism. Now, let's do a little balance right off off the top here. Listen, God wants to bless his people. He's a good father. Scripture says, uh, delight yourself in the Lord, and he gives you what? The desires of your heart. We pray every day for daily bread. How many know daily bread is not just a hamburger? If your car is broken down and you need a new car, how many know you pray for a new car? Deuteronomy says God gives you the ability to obtain wealth to to, uh, 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 affirm his covenant. So here you got a good God that wants to bless us, but here's the problem. Sometimes we're not just following God's desires and, 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 and looking, saying, Lord, let these blessings follow me. We want God to follow our desires. And we want, Lord, I'd like better duck decoys and a better gun. Come on now. And I'd like a better house. And I'd like to be a better preacher than so-and-so. And, 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 and let your kingdom come. Let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. Or we're immaturely almost using God. I think that's where some of this comes from. I think that's kind of the who's first. You see, the great challenge of the Christian life is I'm not just that I'm going to heaven. Is Jesus Savior or is he Savior and Lord? Because when Jesus becomes Lord, everything falls in place. Let's go back here. Uh, You're asking the wrong Moses. And and verse 4, wow, you adulterous people. Now, he's not saying you're fooling around with someone else's spouse. He says your adultery is friendship with the the world. In other words, you love the world more than you love God. What's the greatest commandment? Love the, the Lord with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength. But now your love for the world is enmity with God. Anyone who chooses to be a friend of the world becomes an enemy of God. It's like, can I love God and enjoy the stuff? Or do I want to just love the stuff so much and God's there to help me get it. Maybe that's the, the kind of the deal. Uh, let me read a scripture uh, because when we talk about loving the world, here's my problem. I don't know when I'm doing it. I'm not always sure if my desires are good and wholesome or if they're carnal. This might help a little bit. First John 2, 15, don't love the world or the things in it for when you love the world, this is scary, You don't have the love of the Father in you. In other words, my heart can't be divided between God and the world. Um, 
For the world offers three things, and this is the most descriptive term you'll find of what worldliness is. Number one, a craving for physical pleasure. Now, I don't think there's anything wrong with having fun. The Bible speaks of God giving us things to enjoy, but somehow our our pursuit of enjoyment and fun can define our life, and we crave it. The second thing, a craving for everything we see. Isn't it amazing that when the new catalog comes out and the new duck decoys are out or whatever, or the new line of fall clothes at Dillard's, or you take your pick, when the new thing comes out, then the things that I had before don't make me happy anymore. Because somebody that I hunt with had the new decoys or they had the gun with the super duper, super duper, super duper thing. (laughs) own it. You still can't hit half what you shoot at even if you had the super duper duper triple duper mooper duper. But the problem is somebody else has it. A craving for everything we see. And again the problem is not in the super duper duper. The problem is when my heart loves the super duper more than it loves the Lord. Here's the third one. Pride in our achievements and possessions. Now, it is not a bad or a wrong thing for you to take joy when you do something good. Here's where the problem is. Remember Nebuchadnezzar? He was an old pagan king. He's standing on his housetop one day, and he looked over the city, and he said, Look what I've built. Look what I've done in all this majesty. And you know what was missing? He gave no credit to God. I had something pretty cool happen to me the other day, and I won't tell you what it is, but it, it it was really good. And uh, I, I felt real good about myself, and uh, uh, my wife made me feel even better. And, uh, and, and, and I went out to prayer the next morning, and the first thing out of my mouth, and I'm just being honest, I said, Lord, none of that would have happened without you. Because you gave me the idea when I was going to do something different, and you gave me the opportunity. So I just want to say out loud, thank you. I think when we start there, I think we're headed in a good direction. Let me wrap up here. Verse 5. Do do you think the scripture says without reason that he jealously longs for the spirit he's caused to dwell in us? Now that makes you scratch your head. What in the world is he talking about? Uh, I read several commentators and they all scratched their head too. So we're not quite sure. But, But here's the best one that I came up with. The human spirit or the scripture says... That the human spirit which indwells you yearns to envy. In other words, what he's saying is there's something in all of us, selfish ambition, pride, envy, jealousy, going down the list. That's all of our carnal nature. But here's the best news you've heard all morning. Verse 6, verse six say it with me. He gives us, more say it again, more grace. In other words, when I'm dealing with all that trash in my life that I know is trash and I can't get rid of it or don't want to get rid of it, number one, God will forgive me, but number two, God will help me get beyond the trash. God will help me get rid of my jealousy. God will help me get rid of my envy. He'll help me be happy with what I have. Come on, not what I don't have. He'll help me not be jealous of somebody else that's prospering, but he'll help me uh, give them adoration and praise for them and encourage them even though it's not me happening. See, God gives grace, which means God gives us the power to clean up what's broken in our life. Isn't that the greatest news you've heard all day? 
that God will accept me just as I am, but, but he, will, he will get the junk out of me as he conforms me to the image of Christ his son. Come on. And one day Jesus is going to look at us and he's going to say, well done, good and faithful servant, enter into the joy of the Lord. Come on, give him a big hand today. Let me wrap up. God gives us more grace. And this is why the scripture said, God opposes the proud. Now, when it says God opposes, again, another military term means that God is going to battle against the proud person. And wouldn't it be fair to say that pride is like an umbrella and it covers selfish ambition and it covers envy and it covers worldliness and all these things, which God is saying, listen, if you're pursuing all that stuff, you're not going to get it, and if you do, it's not going to make you happy, and if you get it, somebody else is going to take it away. But what God is saying is this, God will show favor to the humble. What that means is God's going to be kind to people who recognize that all the good things are from God. Yeah. You see, humility is simply a recognition that everything I have and everything I'll ever do is because of the goodness of my God, and to Him belongs the glory. Acts said it this way, and I close with this. Acts said, in Christ we live and move and have our being. That is, I owe my life to him. He cares for me. He provides for me. He gives me gifts. He gives me abilities. And it's all for the glory of his name. Come on, give him a big hand today. He's worthy of our praise. See, and if we do these things, guess what? God's going to favor us, and life just gets better and better and better. Why don't you stand to your feet? We're going to close in, in prayer today. It's been an honor having you. And uh, I, I, Lord willing, Lanella are going to go to that prayer meeting in New Boston tonight at 7 at the courthouse. You ought to come join us. How many know, friends, prayer is needed in America? Listen, America's in trouble. I'm, I'm going to pick a political candidate just like you are. Uh, I, I will do my best to... I'm even going to have a message uh, about politics and all that's going on and which, you know, which makes biblical sense. But that's not enough. We can't print enough money to fix what's broken in America. Friends, what we need is to turn our hearts back to God, and that starts in the place of prayer. And I want to ask you, with everything within me, if this is your home church, join us and give us an hour of prayer this week. Find one of those times, Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday, Friday, Saturday, Sunday. Find one of those times and join with us. Take your lunch break on Wednesday and come pray. Get up early Friday morning and come pray 7 to 8. Come Monday after work 7 to 8 and pray in here. Listen, God is in our midst. We're going to have a closing song and uh, uh, then we're dismissed. The way we dismiss is, of course, we're going to open these front doors so you'll have more room to social distance. I really would appreciate if you'd wear your masks into church and then when you're leaving in your chairs, you, and if you want to take them off, you're, you're, you're free to. Uh, there was a lead article today in our new, hometown newspaper, and uh, the, uh, the, the head official, medical official here in town, was talking to the judge with a concern because now that schools are starting and all, and you know, we don't want to, you know, we don't want to go backwards. We want to get free from this thing, and we want to do our part as, as, as a larger gathering to, to, to help protect other people. But uh, one, one thing I encourage people to do is if you can come Saturday night or Sunday to the first service, this is our largest service. More people here, it kind of spreads it out a little bit. And when we get to Gander, we'll have more room. But uh, give me just a minute here. We're going to have a closing song and a prayer. But I, I want you to bow your head just a second. And I want us to put this message into practice.
You see, the Bible says don't just be a hearer of the Word of God, be a doer. And I wonder if you're here today and if the Holy Spirit has been talking to you about a relationship that's broken. Maybe it's your marriage or your kids, in-laws. Maybe it's your work. Maybe it's here in the church. But there's a relationship that God's put on your heart that needs fixing. And you want to ask Him to help you do that. Would you just lift your hand right now and say, Pastor, that's me. I want you to pray for me. Come on. You don't have to come up here and have to tell anybody, but it's, you're talking to God right now. God, I get it. That's it. Just say, Lord, I, I, I want that relationship to be better. Let's just pray this prayer together. Say, Lord, first of all, we want to ask you to forgive us. Lord, forgive us for what we've done wrong to create the conflict. Lord, maybe we've had selfish ambition. Maybe there's been envy. We sure got our feelings hurt. Maybe that was our pride. Maybe there's been some worldliness that's been part of the problem. But, Lord, there's been division, and there can't be any blessing of unity, Lord, when there's division. So we humbly want to ask you today to forgive us, and we want to ask you to help us change. Come on, you pray that right now. Say, Holy Spirit, show me what I need to do. Lord, we would ask you that you would help us be wise people. Let us be humble peacemakers, not demanding our own way, being considerate, having pure hearts and pure motives. Help us to do everything in our power to maintain unity in our jobs, our families, and our church. But it's hard. Would you just slip your hands to heaven now as a way of reaching out to God and say, God, would you help me? I prayed something that I think I am unable to do on my own. But I want to ask you to give me what that scripture said. He gives more grace. And right now, I just, like a little child, my hands lifted up to Dad, I receive your grace. I receive the ability of God to do what I'm helpless to do on my own. And I welcome you, Holy Spirit, today. Come on, you pray that right now. Say, help me, Holy Spirit. Become the person you want me to be. In Jesus' name. We're going to close with our last song and then dismiss. But I want our prayer team to come to the front right now. Uh, any prayer team members, we always want to make a place for individual prayer. Uh, if you've got something going on in your world that you just need to talk to somebody and you want them to pray for you specifically, that's what will happen as people are dismissing. And the way we'll do it is those that are leaving are leaving, but we just want you to just be seated right where you are. And one of the men and the women that are up here will come find their way to you and they'll pray for you. But I'd like to include one more prayer that's probably the most important one. Maybe you're here today and you say, Pastor, my, my greatest need is just to get right with God. Maybe just being in church today, you became a more spiritual person, but it made you aware that your sins have separated you from God. You need God's forgiveness. You need Jesus to come be a part of your life. You know, I was raised in church, a little country church in Mississippi, a little Methodist church. It was good that I went, but going to church doesn't make you a Christian. Becoming a Christian is a defining moment. And if I can use that cross as an example of the living Jesus Christ, we're born, as the Bible says, as a sinner, which means we're going away from God. It doesn't mean we're evil rapists and murderers. It just means we're doing our own thing. And every once in a while we look back 
and we ask God to help us or whatever but then after he helps us we keep going our own way but the essence of becoming a Christian is turning to Jesus Christ it's called repentance and saying Lord I want you to be first in my life I need you to forgive me but I want to follow you for the rest of my days that defining moment starts in a prayer asking Christ to be a part of your life and you know what I took that step on August 15th 1976 and Jesus changed my life if that's the change you're looking for today I'm gonna encourage you to do this anytime during this song or after come talk to Pastor Travis he's one of our senior staff here and he'll talk to you he'll pray with you and give some things to help you on your journey as a Christian amen go ahead and begin to sing Pastor Zach I'm glad you came I love you and Lord willing I'll see you next week Sing it out together, every voice you word. Love y'all. I gave on online. are open so feel free to be dismissed at any time we just pray that you have a blessed day today